Dear Quest Podcast, Funds Industry Conversations. Hello, podcast listeners, and welcome to this episode of the Quest Podcast with me, Danny Lawler. If you're new to the Quest Podcast, please do hit the subscribe button. If you like it, don't be shy about hitting the like button too and sharing it with your pals. Now, anybody following the crypto asset industry will know that in Europe, efforts to regulate it have taken a little bit of time, and they centre a lot around piece of legislation known as the European Markets in Crypto Assets Regulation, or MICA. Now, MICA is pretty much final at this stage and in the process of being implemented. And as listeners to the podcast will know, my go-to guy for anything MICA-related is Andrew Tijali at Philip Lee. So I thought it was a good idea to see if we could hook up with Andrew again, chat about that final regulation, what's in it, and if there's anything of uh, you know anything particularly surprising there. And also to chat about the industry generally, where things are at, whether the kind of air has gone out of it a little bit. And talk about the kinds of things that firms who now will need a MICA license uh, need to think about and how they go about the authorization process in a way that kind of gets them over the line without too much pain. With that, let's get on with the show. The Equest Podcast, Funds Industry Conversations. Hello, Andrew. Welcome to the Equest Podcast. Great to have you back on the show. Thank you very much, Danny. Always a pleasure. So, Micah is that bit further along the track than it was when we spoke previously. I thought it'd be good to catch up and see what you t- what you make of the final version as, a, as it is, but also the kind of landscape more generally when it comes to digital assets and blockchain and, and the crypto industry, particularly here in Ireland. Yeah. So... Let's chat. Yes. What you mean? Where so, is the world at these days? Well, I think compared to when we last spoke, last uh, I, I think the various discussions that we've had have gone from booming time crypto winter, booming time crypto winter, and we are now crypto winter. Not maybe not crypto winter. Maybe we're kind of thawing a little bit, and we're getting towards the spring. Uh, as ever, um, interest in digital assets is heavily linked to how is Bitcoin performing, how is Ethereum performing, and there was a fairly spectacular fall from grace, um, led in no small part by Celsius and FTX and Terra Luna, and even to an extent Silicon Valley Bank as well, because of how much they were involved in crypto projects. So we are in a slow market when it comes to digital assets, but there is still a lot going on. And I think the market, each time we get these downturns, the market matures a little bit. The, the Those that were in there for just a so-called pump and dump uh, fall away. And the long-established businesses who will probably be around no matter what the crypto climate is like, are building. Yeah. And there's still things happening. And do you get the sense that the crypto believers, like the, the fervent, ardent believers who think this is going to change the world, are they still as confident or is that being shaken um, yeah look, I, <laughs> there is still evangelists <laughs> there are plenty of them but i think the that they are definitely reducing and that blind confidence of you know there's nothing better you can do than just put your money in crypto yeah i, I certainly don't hear of as many of those around mm. and may, maybe they would say but for the FTXs and the Celsiuses of this world, bad actors uh, and badly run businesses, then it would still be booming. It's a big but for though. It is a fairly sizable but for. Yeah. 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 And your sense then, I guess more broadly in terms of blockchain uh, and its 
you know, it, what it can deliver and whether it would deliver it. So I, I think particularly there was a, a very large shipping company that had a blockchain project that would, you know, manage and, and uh, control supply chain and record supply chains. Uh, and I think they kind of canned that on the back of it was very expensive. It required a lot of input from others and the outcome wouldn't be worth the effort to get it there. Mm. Is that kind of, is that prevalent you seen kind of yeah. although it could do things well blockchain the effort of getting there is just yeah. not worth it uh, I, I think it is still going all the way back to 2017 2018 it was touted so often as the solution to a problem the yes. reality is it is one of a number of solutions now not the solution and then again looking back to then compared to now if a project was underpinned by a blockchain solution it would be on page one of the deck now for a lot of the projects we're working with it's almost an afterthought at the end oh by the way this is powered by ethereum blockchain or whatever it may be yeah so we certainly don't see that being as prevalent it's not shouted about as much and a lot of the certainly the companies that we are working with it's less about trying to do something as new and disruptive as that you know building a whole big supply chain based you know for a shipping company based on blockchain and more about saying what can we do to reduce the friction to getting institutions and investors and retail investors into this industry. You know, how can we help with custody? How can we help with risk in terms of holding your own keys? How can we help with loss of assets? Um, what solutions can we put in place to make all that easier and onboard people in an easier manner? Yeah, and and that's and that's happening then, is it? Like that I know is, the the resources. I mean, nearly, nearly everyone that we are talking to. So, look, I can only speak from personal experience, but the companies we're working with, there's a lot of blockchain related fintech. There's a lot of, like I said, how do we on, how does a bank onboard an institutional investor whose primary business is fintech, or not fintech, blockchain related, yeah. or crypto related? Uh, how does how is KYC dealt with? Who is managing that? Because there's still a nervousness by banks in terms of onboarding clients involved with digital assets. So yeah. a lot of the companies we are working with are providing solutions to reduce that friction and make it easier. So it's more incremental rather than revolutionary change. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And in terms of kind of then let's say the financial services industry and the interest around, for example, regulated products that would invest in crypto assets. I know certainly on my side where that had been, you know, there was a lot of interest and quite a few inquiries coming through, uh, and a lot of as I said interest in, in how we might make this work. Mm. Uh, and ironically, I did get a query through today as it happens. But that aside, that certainly isn't. Um, you know, certainly those levels of queries have, have dried up. On the central bank side, they have slightly shifted their position, so they would allow a qualifying investor, AVE, to go up to 50% in mm-hmm. indirectly in digital assets, provided it was closed-ended or with limited yeah. liquidity. Uh, but direct investment still isn't allowed. And from a usage perspective and a retail AVE perspective, again, no investment at all in, in crypto. So mm. central bank has shifted a little bit on it. But I guess with the market being what it is, there's not that same momentum behind it in terms of trying to deliver these products. And, and yeah, and it, it's not a, you know, how many people at the moment are going to be lobbying the central bank to say, you need to shift into a far more crypto-friendly position. I mean, I'm sure there will be people doing it, but less so yeah. when we're, you know, down a little bit. And I think the other thing that's changing for, for, for a long time in its life, uh, in the life cycle of, of crypto, because of interest rates across the world being so historically low, you were able to say, well, look at the growth you can get just, you know, staking. You yeah. can get even conservatively, you get 5%, 6%, 10%. Okay, you, there was mad numbers with, you know, Terra Luna. You're staking their stuff, getting 500%, 1,000%, which is just completely unsustainable on every level, which it was. 
But now if you're looking, well, okay, ECB's not so bad, but, but UK and US, if, if base rates are 5, 5%, 6%, yeah. and if banks are then going, well, now suddenly you can get 5% on your or a savings account. Now that hasn't followed in, in, in Ireland or, or Europe, but and I hope it doesn't for, for some time. The alternatives and the risk involved, I think, with crypto maybe becomes less appealing. Yeah. So it all plays into whether or not there's that interest. And then, as you said, in terms of a lobbying effort with the central bank, um, and I know that Irish funds have produced a white paper last year on digital assets, and, and it's something that they continue to work towards in terms of solving the practical issues around how do we administer mm. a fund that's invested in digital assets and how do we view valuations when it's always on and how yep. do we process the fund and uh, how do we safe keep the assets and, and that kind of stuff. So that is something that's going on. But but I guess with the market down and the, in, the drive amongst promoters being less, it's hard to keep the interest and the momentum up when it's not coming from, from that side. Yep, exactly. So on that, then, we have Micah. Mm. What do you make of Micah? I feel like we've been talking about it for a long time. We have been talking about it for a long time. It has taken a bit to get yeah, this Yeah, it's, it's yeah. taken a little bit. And, and actually, interestingly, there's already, I don't, don't know if you've seen, there's already discussions. I think Christine Lagarde was already talking about Micah 2. Oh, my God. Yeah, heaven forbid. Uh, <laughs> now, if there is a Micah 2, our sense is it's going to come in a lot quicker than, than the first iteration. Might be easier because you've got something to work from. Exactly. And you can exactly. So... Look, I think it's important. I think it needed to come in. You know, you look at the... Uh, because for years we've been, you know, advising companies saying, you, you may fall into this category and maybe you're subject to MIFID, maybe it's something else. And if it's a utility you're doing, then it's maybe outside of that. And so now we at least have some certainty, you know. Yeah, uh, it's kind of good and it's bad in the sense that, yes, you have some certainty. So you can look at this piece and say... This is the license that you need to apply for, and and it's more black and white. But if you had an approach that said, "I'd like to operate in a way that made sure I was outside of a regulatory regime," that kind of flexibility is probably gone for you now. You're you're, you're in. Yeah. Well, I, I think the 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 really the important aspect of it, I think, is it doesn't matter where you operate. If you are selling to people in the European Union, then you're subject to you're this. In. Yeah. Now. Will the regulators want to, if someone in Ireland loses money and uh, through a company that was supposed to be regulated and registered under under MICA and wasn't, and it turns out they're based in Panama, is the CBI going to go after them? I mean, I don't, who knows? Not easy. Most definitely not easy. But at least now there is certainty of, you, you know, what kind of company do you want to be? Do you want to break the law or not? Because if you want to do it by the book, this is how you do it and you need to be regulated. And, you know, there's not going to be many lawyers that are going to be working, at least I hope not, we certainly wouldn't be, or maybe, maybe I have too much faith in the legal <laughs> profession, but we certainly wouldn't be working with companies that we know are flagrantly ignoring micro rules. No, you're yeah. going to direct them as to what they need to do. Exactly, exactly. Hold their hands yes. through a process, obviously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that, that's exactly what we're doing with a, with a number of companies at the moment who are based outside the European Union. Uh, and there, there certainly was a sense a little while ago that digital asset firms were hungry to be regulated, that they, mm. they really wanted to have this uh, regime or have our regime or have some form of regulatory badge around them that they could demonstrate they were up to scratch and that they knew what they were doing and that they were doing it right and that there was somebody independent looking over their shoulder to make sure that that was the case. I wonder as we get closer to that becoming a reality and firms, especially where they're from dynamic environments where they kind of can be very innovative and creative over a very mm. short space of time. 
and they move into a regulated world where that just is not how things work because you, you do have this independent overseer of what you do that often wants to know in advance and clear what you want to do. Uh, is that appetite for regulation the same or, or with the reality dawning, do you think firms are a little bit more squiffy? It's, yeah, it's, it's a tricky one because the companies that we're talking to usually come to us because they want help being regulated. Yes. So we only see the kind of by the book approach. Now, there's some that we talk to who uh, we'll, we'll do legal opinions for and the legal opinion will be, look, you, you need to, you're subject to VASP or you will be subject to, to MICA. And they're still going, no, I don't think so. Or, you know, we'll, we'll take a different view, yeah. which is fine. Or we'll just stay out of the EU for a little while, uh, which is fine as well. But the, no, the, I mean, there was a really, really good conversation we had with the CBI recently on, on a certain application. And they were saying, look, you do know you need to do this and need to do this and need to do this. And the, the, the company that we were working with said, this is exactly why we wanted to come to Ireland. We want, we want to be by the book. Thank you very much for pointing these things out. We want best in practice in terms of service and KYC and AML and regulation and, and everything else. That's why we're here. And that's uh, what they'll get when yeah. they experience the <laughs> Exactly. It is, it, and it's meant to be. It's tough and it is demanding. And yeah. the barrier would be high, I'm sure, because it's much easier to deal with firms before they get a license than to try and fix a problem afterwards. So yeah. the, the barrier would be high. Yeah. Uh, and that, so it's, it's, I guess it's not putting off those who are minded to do things right and do things to a high standard and presumably have some resources behind them to, to do that because yeah exactly it's necessary now that said the challenge the challenge is so we, we've seen how the VASP process have gone and in fairness the CBI have had to upskill very very quickly yes so and, and that was never supposed to be a regulatory process it's a you well know, it's a registration it's a registration for AML it's, purposes it's kind of Mika light a little bit it is in some respects yeah. um, so there's a lot to it uh, I think there's more to it than Certainly, some of the companies we were have worked with have expected it to be, but again, it's not a bad it's not a bad thing. It's and have you a sense for is the approach here different than the approach in other jurisdictions? Where again, we're all um, off the same rulebook, but yeah. Um, I, I, to, to be honest, I don't know. I, I I hear similar challenges in other European jurisdictions. I mean, you look at a lot of what the Irish VASP rules that they they mirror the. Not to say that the Irish regulators copy those in the UK, but they mirror a lot of what the uh, Financial Conduct Authority had for, I can't remember if they called it Digital Asset Service Provider or Crypto Asset Service Provider. Yeah. Very, very similar. Inspiration, let's go on. Yes, yes, indeed. Inspiration. Uh, the limbs are very, very similar as well in terms of what constitutes uh, a crypto asset service provider in the UK. But generally, the feedback we've had from there is it's been a very, very challenging process yes. to the point where people have just gone, it's just not worth the hassle. It's really not. It's very, very slow. It's very, very clunky. And the FCA would have substantially larger resources and people and everything else compared to the CBI. So maybe initially people were crit overly critical, but you're having to get people in to upskill so quickly in crypto and blockchain and things which are, are new. There's so much terminology and there's, it, it's so nuanced. And, you know, you, they, they could be looking at people that are involved in NFTs. They could be looking at people involved in DeFi, in custody. Yeah. Uh, and so you're trying to learn it. Exactly. And then not only are you trying to learn it, you're trying to then get ahead of it and understand what the risks are. Exactly. And, and then how do you go about monitoring, managing, mitigating, eliminating those risks? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, exactly. A lot of understanding there then that it's from a regulator's perspective, yeah. it's not easy. And it, it is going to take time to get up the learning curve and, and manage and monitor and identify what risks it is that you, you want to address. And so firms haven't gone through that, and now they're they're facing into MICA. I guess if you've done a vast registration, you have an understanding of yeah, you, you and, step ahead. yeah, and the regulator will at least 
be somewhat familiar with the firm involved and, and yeah. that gives you a bit of comfort too. Anything about the mica package that kind of especially jumps out at you? Like in broad terms, it's not terribly dissimilar to how European regulations approach other sectors in the financial services industry in terms of how you run a business that mm. is uh, in the financial services industry and ultimately mine somebody else's or manages somebody else's money. And there's obviously the potential for conflicts of interest and the potential for things to go wrong uh, and money not to be where it should be. So in crypto assets, whatever. So all of that is kind of addressed and conduct rules and, and all that kind of thing. But anything that especially stands out for you is in MICA as being difficult for firms to cover or is it all kind of what you'd expect? Uh, I think a lot of it is what I expect. You know, you, you're, you're going to have minimum capital requirements, which are actually fairly reasonable. I don't think yeah. they're, they're kind of ridiculous numbers, not like you would maybe even see in the traditional financial services industry. You're so, going to be expected to have resources exactly, in the country. Exactly. You know, bodies on the ground or in the European Union, uh, resources in the country, doing things by the book. I, I don't think so. I, I think, you know, there's still, there's there's a few things in there in terms of where you're caught by MICA. And one of them is, you know, providing advice on crypto assets. Mm. So, that if you're, you're a crypto asset service provider, if you're providing advice on crypto assets, it's it's those kind of generic terms, these catch-all, which you know, do they really want to sweep up everyone into that? So I think much like with the Vasperals, where we had FATF Financial Action Task Force coming out and giving some chapter and verse on interpretation of this is what this means, this is what this means. We probably need a little bit of that with Micra as well, but in terms of things that stand out, it's more the absence of certain things. So. NFTs aren't touched, really. Yeah. Uh, Non-fungible tokens. DeFi isn't touched. And, you know, where you're talking about the the, the collapse of Terra Luna, people were using DeFi platforms, staking, and that's how they were getting a 1,000%, you know, compound staking uh, returns. That was all done through DeFi platforms. That said, how do you regulate a platform which is totally decentralized, where you have no idea who is behind it? Yeah, you know, answers in a postcard because exactly. ultimately the system is, <laughs> is designed around uh, somebody is responsible for this activity and if it goes wrong, we have somebody to hold to account. And if there's nobody because it's decentralized and yeah. it's everybody, yeah. you know, I, I don't know. I don't know how you uh, get your hands around that. No idea. You know, short of just banning them or banning yeah. use of them or blocking them, you know, blocking access to them. Uh, but then people just use VPNs and kind of get around it anyway. Yeah. So... Uh, I mean, on on the absence of NFTs, that the whole NFT boom has died down a little bit. Only a little. Yeah, I mean, may, maybe I'm underselling quite a bit. It's died down. I mean, it was kind of crazy. Uh, it had, yeah. Uh, in Definitely terms of some sense. of the numbers, I personally never bought bought one or bought any. I didn't really. I never really got it as a concept. And and people often said with with them, yes, but you know, you could have a photo of a Picasso on your wall, or you could actually have the Picasso. But it just you know, it just it just felt different. So yeah, I never really, I never really got that side of thing. So maybe that's why it's been left out. Maybe yeah. that's why it's just like, it was a bit of a fad. And um, maybe the market will just figure that one out, and there won't be you know there won't be that interest. So uh, it kind of solves yeah. itself to an extent. Uh, so one one thing I would say, saying that I, I it feels like a little bit of a cop out to say if you are a security token you're outside of MICA and you're just governed by existing rules like, like MIFID. I, I feel that it's it's a complex enough of an area and it's a big enough of an industry, or could be, for to have dedicated crypto legislation for that, rather than trying to shoehorn it into... MICA 2, maybe? Into MICA 2, yes. yeah, exactly. I guess maybe there just comes a point where, as a 
as a group of regulators and legislators, you, you have to do something and, and maybe you can only get your head around so much. So let's get that done and out and then we'll have a, another cut out. Exactly. How, yeah. we, how we expand it. Yeah. So as firms approach you and, and, and me for guidance through what would be a MICA authorization process, is there anything you would kind of give them a heads up on that, that will make their lives easier is probably the wrong word, but make the process more straightforward? Well, it's quite consuming, uh, very consuming. It will be far more consuming than the VASP process was or is. They need to have the right kind of people. Have have your compliance guy, have your MLRO guy, have have a decent finance director that kind of gets gets crypto. I mean, if they're a crypto company, you'd think that they have those things anyway. But you know, I, I think founders and the the people doing the day to day operations of a business maybe don't want to be spending all their time talking to lawyers to go through a regulatory process because they need to be running a business. So I think they have to have dedicated people that, that understand or have a bit of an understanding of the regulatory and the compliance side of things. This is internally. Yes. As well as the, the operative nature of the business so they can feed into us. Yeah. I do think there's a huge role in in this for the in-house team and the firm because ultimately it is their operations that are under the microscope and it is them that know their operations and can describe them best. And also to the extent that changes are required or tweaks are required or additional controls are required, they're the ones who are best placed to design what, what those changes need to be yeah. with, I guess, advice and support from a law firm or whatever it is to, to hold their hand to the process. But but they they really need to be right in the middle. And I think because this is the first time around, mm. there is going to be a learning element with everybody, particularly with the with the regulator. So you are going to find questions and you are going to find handholding required. And so it is going to take a bit of time. And will there be first mover advantage I guess there will when you get the other side, but there'll be a cost to it as well. You know, mm. it's going to take time and effort and resources and plenty of patience and then some more resources mm. and you, you, you know, to get through the process. Yeah, I, I think the one thing that, that the people that it will impact maybe the most is the startups who are just issuing coins, doing initial coin offerings. Yeah. Because now they have to have a prospectus, you know, as they should have always have done, fully verified and registered and... There have to be verification to make sure all the statements are true and accurate and not misleading. And there was far too little of that going on. Yeah. And I think if you are an organization of a size and you have the resources and the substance and the expertise, then an authorization process is, you know, it's a project that you put on the list and you do and you just throw it at what requires. If you are a small startup, it's potentially the end of the yeah the end of the road because it so. is you know yeah. you you're going to need to find another solution more well, likely well I mean look or likely you, you can't expect people accept that with traditional equity you can't just put a link on a website and say I'm raising ten million euros click the link you know that's yeah. called crowdfunding you know there are rules that just mean that you can't just do that why should you be able to do it with crypto yeah, yeah. and you can't yeah you certainly <laughs> won't be able to very yeah, shortly exactly. and maybe that's the right thing if you look at the issues you mentioned before and especially I guess the amount of retail investors involved that do require protection and do require an infrastructure that serves a purpose and mm. gives you a chance at least that your return is based on whether the price has gone up and down rather than yeah. you know a failure of a uh, of infrastructure and assets just disappearing so yeah. it's here it's here it's finally in it's finally happening in. okay yes well listen wonderful to chat to you again catch up uh, I said it, we have been chatting about MICA for a while. It's, it is finally here. We are going to have firms that actually need to start putting pen to paper on applications. And uh, we will see with great interest how that plays out. Indeed we shall. Thanks very much, Andrew. Thank you, Danny.
Quest Podcast. Fun's Industry Conversations.